see you today. Glad you're here. You look great. Everyone's talking about you, saying how awesome you look today, and you make them so happy when you come in the room. So thanks for being here and for worshiping with us. And if you have a Bible with you, would you please open up to the book of Joshua? We're going to be in Joshua chapter 2 this morning. And if you're using the Pew Bible, which if you don't have a Bible with you, I'd highly recommend that. Uh, Your shortcut is this. You'll find Joshua chapter 2 on page 184. And so let me encourage you to have a Bible open and take a few notes this morning. You'll be good to go. And uh, one quick tidbit of information. Uh, Your bulletin says that youth group tonight is from 6.30 to 8.30. It's actually just 6.30 to 8. And so uh, pick up your kids on time. All right. Thanks for that. We love them an hour and a half. We don't love them two hours. We just love them an hour and a half. That'd be great. All right. So Joshua chapter 2 is where we're going to spend our time together this morning. Uh, What is the holiest place you've ever been in? When when you think about your spiritual journey, uh, what is that place, those places, those points in time where you have met God? What I mean by holy is that place where like you, you saw God clearly. You encountered him in a deep, profound, soul-changing way. It could be some sacred place set apart uh, for such encounters. It could be some place that you didn't expect where God found you and you experienced him in a most profound way. Well, today I want to take you to a place that is a very holy of holies. Today we're going to meet God in the home of a pagan Canaanite prostitute named Rahab. And I want to get you ready for this holy visitation. You don't just waltz into uh, an audience with God and then be like, ha ha, I told you, here he is. You've got to be ready for what you're going to experience. The first thing you'll experience is fear. When finite, limited human beings full of sin come face to face with the holy, holy, holiness of God, our first reaction is fear. That's the clear testimony of Scripture over and over again. Everyone who has an encounter with God, they respond with fear because you suddenly realize All the reasons he is right and you are wrong. All the ways you are a rebel and he is God eternal. And we realize in that audience the judgment that we deserve. Get ready for a bit of fear. But then what happens is when we throw ourselves on the mercy of God, we find in that holy audience compassion and grace in kindness and warmth as he embraces us. The fear goes away, and in its place is this sacred assurance that God is with you and he is for you. And so Joshua chapter 2 is a holy of holies today. Most Bible readers know a little something about Joshua chapter 2. We know that uh, it's about this woman named Rahab. Two Israelite spies had snuck into the city of Jericho where Rahab lived. Uh, we know that she hid them from authorities and then struck a deal with them to protect her family. 
in the incoming, uh, oncoming judgment, and they gave her a scarlet cord to tie in her window. That would be the sign that she would be saved. That, that's what we know. We know some plot points, but knowing the plot points of Joshua 2 doesn't mean we've encountered God there. It is a deeply theological chapter of the Bible, and it's essential that you and I, in our study of Joshua chapter 2, see God rightly. If we don't see Him correctly, horrible things happen. We'll, we'll take God and we'll diminish Him into a God of our own making. We will make God in our own image, and I promise you that God is always a monstrosity, always. But when we see Him right, it changes us. It gives us hope. It's where we find forgiveness and new life. No matter what our background, no matter how messed up we've been, we find salvation when we see God right. So my goal today in preaching Joshua chapter 2 is for you to see God and for us to walk away with a heart like His. To encounter God is to be transformed by Him in Joshua chapter 2 teaches us three essential realities about God. So I want you to follow along with me as I read Joshua chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two men as spies from the Acacia Grove. You might have a different translation of the Bible. Instead of Acacia Grove, it says Shittim, same places. So he sent them from the Acacia Grove saying, Go and scout the land, especially Jericho. So they left, and they came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, Look, some of the Israelite men have come here tonight to investigate the land. Then the king of Jericho sent word to Rahab and said, Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house, for they came to investigate the entire land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. So she said, Yes, the men did come to me, but I didn't know where they were from. At nightfall, when the city gate was about to close, the men went out, and I don't know where they were going. Chase after them quickly, and you can catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them among the stalks of flax that she had arranged on the roof. The men pursued them along the roads to the fords of the Jordan, and as soon as they left to pursue them, the city gate was shut. Well, before the men fell asleep, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that the terror of you has fallen on us and everyone who lives in the land is panicking because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two Amorite kings you completely destroyed across the Jordan. When we heard this, we lost heart. And everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. Now please swear to me by the Lord that you will also show kindness to my father's family because I showed kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father, mother, brothers, sisters, and all who belong to them and save us from death. The men answered her, we will give our lives for yours. If you don't report our mission, we will show kindness and faithfulness to you when the Lord gives us the land. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, since she lived in a house that was built into the wall of the city. 
Go to the hill country so that the men pursuing you won't find you, she said to them. Hide there for three days until they return. Afterward, go on your way. The men said to her, we will be free from this oath you made us swear unless when we enter the land you tie this scarlet cord to the window through which you let us down. Bring your father, mother, brothers, and all your father's family into your house. If anyone goes out the doors of your house, his death will be his own fault and we will be innocent. But if anyone with you in the house should be harmed, his death will be our fault. And if you report our mission, we are free from the oath you made us swear. Let it be as you say, she replied, and she sent them away. After they had gone, she tied the scarlet cord to the window. So the two men went into the hill country and stayed there three days until the pursuers had returned. They searched all along the way but did not find them. Then the men returned, came down from the hill country and crossed the Jordan. They went to Joshua, son of Nun, and reported everything that had happened to them. They told Joshua, the Lord has handed over the entire land to us. Everyone who lives in the land is also panicking because of us. So in Joshua chapter 2, we meet God. We meet him in Rahab's home, the most unlikely of all places. And it's here that we learn three essential realities about him. Here's what you must know about God. The first thing you've got to know about God is that God is a missionary. When I say God is a missionary, what I mean is that God's primary concern is the salvation of sinners. And we learn this from Rahab's speech in verses 8 to 13. Now, the whole story is told in a little bit of a choppy way. Uh, the suspense uh, hangs on throughout the whole account. It's, it seems like paragraph after paragraph builds the intensity of the moment. And so uh, the spies are sent by Joshua into Jericho to spy out the land. They're going to check it out and make sure uh, that everything seems proper, come back with a report to Joshua. Now, the story implies that when the spies got into Jericho, that someone saw them, recognized that these guys don't belong here, and that someone saw them go into Rahab's house. Now, according to the story, there's not this long introduction between Rahab and the spies. It's almost as if she knows who they are and knows what they are about, because according to the details in the story, she immediately took them uh, to the top of her roof, and she hid them among stalks of flax. What is flax? Before it is the seed that is sprinkled on your $15 avocado toast at Shea Bougie, flax is a, a wheat-like crop. When it's harvested, when it was harvested, uh, it was in stalks about three to five feet tall. It would be bundled together. And so her flat roof serves as kind of a barn. It's a storage place for this product, this crop. And so she took them in up to her flat roof, hid them there because she knew there's eyes everywhere. You don't just slip into Jericho unnoticed. They were noticed. They were seen coming into her place. She knows the authorities are coming. She hides them, and then word comes. She talks to the king. The king says, bring out these spies, and Rahab says, they were here, but now they're gone. Now, just as an aside, it often happens that people get hung up on Rahab's lie. 
And so we'll begin to construct all kinds of ethical scenarios in which we ask if it would be okay to lie or not. Rahab lied to the king. God's will was done. So, so when can I lie? When is it right for me to be able to lie to get the work of God done? Uh, all such exercises are wasted energy. When you read the Bible, you need to understand this. There is a difference between what the Bible reports and what the Bible requires. And in this case, this detail is neither commended nor condemned. It's just part of the story. We've already spent more time than we should have on this detail of the story. But just because we get hung up on things like this, we've got to know how to handle it whenever we come across it. And so Rahab sent the king and his men on this wild goose chase. They took off, and then Rahab goes to the spies on her roof and gives one of the most amazing speeches in the entire Bible. And look at what she says in verses 8 to 13. We need to see this again. It says, Before the men fell asleep, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that the terror of you has fallen on us and everyone who lives in the land is panicking because of you. For we've heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. That was 40 years before this night. And what you did to Sihon and Og, it's in Numbers chapter 21 if you want to go read it. Uh, the two Amorite kings you completely destroyed across the Jordan. When we heard this, we lost heart and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven and on earth below. Now please swear to me by the Lord that you will also show kindness to my father's family because I showed kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father, mother, brothers, sisters, and all who belong to them and save us from death. Let me tell you about Rahab's speech. It is proper that when we talk about Rahab, we talk about her conversion. Rahab's speech is not where her conversion takes place. But rather, for lack of a better phrase, Rahab's speech is the public profession of her conversion. When the spies arrive, they are shocked to find that she confesses true faith in Israel's God. Now, one of my favorite Bible scholars, a guy named Del Ralph Davis, uh, has structured Rahab's confession in this way that I want to show you. When he talks about Rahab's confession, here's what we're looking at. First of all, she confessed God's might in verse 10. We've heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea. What happened to the kings Sihon and Og, the Amorite kings you completely destroyed. So here... Rahab shows us that she knows some things. She has some data points about Israel's God. And this is how faith is produced in people. Biblical faith is based on knowledge, data, evidence. It's not, it doesn't emerge just from a feeling. It comes from knowing some things. That's why in our gospel telling, it's so important that we talk about Christ. Fully human, fully divine, born of a virgin, died on the cross, rose from the dead. These historical facts are essential. For people to have faith, they must faith in something. In, there's information that's put in front of them. Rahab communicates to these spies that she has heard what's happened. She knows these things about God and what he has done for his people. She confesses God's might. And then in verse 11, she confesses God's majesty. 
She says, for the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. So she confesses the majesty of God here when she says he is God in heaven above and on earth below. Now when you're reading that, you and I, we, we read that line and we don't, it doesn't really grip us. We might, if we're reading slow, we might think that's important, that sounds really good. But we don't understand how important that simple line is because it's already shown up in the Bible back in Deuteronomy chapter 4. Back in Deuteronomy chapter 4, God is teaching his people Israel how they are to worship him. And in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 39, God says, Today, recognize and keep in mind that the Lord is God in heaven above and on earth below. There is no other. So don't miss this. Here is a pagan Canaanite prostitute with an Israelite confession of faith. She is at the place that God is trying to bring Israel. In her faith, in her understanding and knowledge of God, she confesses his majesty. This is no small thing. And again, this is not where her conversion takes place. Her conversion has already taken place. This is her confession of faith. The final part of her confession in verses 12 and 13, she trusts in God's mercy. In verse 12, please swear to me by the Lord that you will also show kindness to my father's family. So the evidence of Rahab's faith is that she takes refuge in God. She doesn't just know data points about him. Parts water, destroys kings, God in heaven above, earth below. It's not just data points, but she presses into this terrifying God in the hopes that there is mercy to be found as well. That there will be mercy from the wrath to come, the judgment that's to come on all of the people of Jericho and the whole land. That's what saving faith looks like. It's pressing into the mercy of God, throwing yourself on the mercy of God, knowing that you deserve wrath and judgment, but he is compassionate and kind and he loves you and he will rescue you when you trust in him. What but the hand of God could produce such faith in this woman? We don't have to concoct some sort of argument that forces her into the kingdom of God or that creates a heroine out of someone who's just some other woman. This woman knows God deeply and profoundly. So you've got to remember that these two spies, they were not evangelists. They were spies. And what did they spy with their little eyes when they got into Jericho? They found that God was in Jericho long before they were. They found faith in Jericho. They didn't bring it in. They didn't go through the Roman road with her. They came and they found that God and his sovereignty had beat them there and in a most profound and important way. Rahab reminds us that God is a missionary. His primary work is to glorify himself through the redemption of mankind. We have this promise all the way back in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, where God told Abraham that all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Rahab is the partial fulfillment of that promise. 
She's the foretaste of the salvation to come that's going to spread all the way from Jericho to the south shore. And so, brothers and sisters, be encouraged by this. Never underestimate God's resolve to save those who are lost. From Rahab's day to this day, God has been actively getting his words into the ears of the lost in all of these ways that he hasn't reported to you. We strategize and we plan and we implement our strategies and plans, and well, we should. But God beats us there every single time. He allows us to participate in this most holy task, this beautiful calling that he's put on the heart of the church. But we don't drag God to the mission field. He's already there. He knows these people. He loves them. He is readying their hearts to receive the gospel. So if God, the God who saved us, is chiefly concerned with the salvation of others around us, then we should be concerned with that as well. If God in his sovereignty is acting for the salvation of the lost, then we should be emboldened by the sovereignty of God to proclaim Christ in all the places he has not been named. I'm convinced more and more that uh, living in this unique place, if you and I are going to walk people to faith in Christ, we must live more and more like missionaries. Think about your neighbors, your friends, those who do not know Jesus who are in your sphere of influence. Some of them might respond well to an invitation to church. But others, an invitation to church would make no sense because their base of knowledge and understanding is just so far removed. And so I think about uh, friends of our church, supported missionaries of our church who live in a different part of the world where Christianity is the minority religion by far. And in their work, they aren't inviting their neighbors to church. They invite them to coffee. They invite them to a walk. They invite them to a picnic. They invite them over for dinner. And it's in those places where the the gospel is shared where discussions are had, where learning takes place, long before they get an invite to church. And maybe that's how you should begin to think about your neighbors and the people you love who are far from the kingdom of God. The gospel's not far from them, but you just may have to be creative and let the fact that Rahab's house is the place of her conversion convince you of God's power and might, his missionary heart to rescue those he loves who hear the gospel from you. So in the Holy of Holies of Joshua chapter 2, we first witness God's missionary heart. And the second essential reality of God that we learn in Joshua chapter 2 is that God is a deliverer. When we see God, this is beyond argument. It is clear that he is a God who delivers. In verses 15 to 22, we have the agreement between the spies and Rahab to spare the lives of her family when Israel comes to conquer Jericho. And so this was the plan. If, if Rahab would not give up the spies, wouldn't, wouldn't uh, rat out their plan, well, then uh, she would take this scarlet cord that they gave her, tie that scarlet cord to the same window that she was going to lower the spies out of, and then when Israel came in to take the city... Everyone in that house would be uh, spared. When we get to Joshua chapter 6 in a few weeks, 
All this plays out in that exact same way. Sorry for the spoiler alert, but uh, she tied, as soon as she tied, or excuse me, as soon as she lowered the spies out of the window, she tied that cord to the window, uh, enacting the protection that she was promised. Now, that scarlet cord holds extremely important symbolism. First of all, it takes us back to the Passover event of Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12 tells of the plague of the death of the firstborn sons. And on this particular night, the angel of the Lord was sent um, to kill the firstborn sons in Egypt. But there was escape, especially for the Israelites enslaved in Egypt, who slaughtered lambs and took that blood and wiped it on the doorposts of their homes. And so when the angel of the Lord came through, when he saw the blood that covered that door, he passed over that family. When we see the scarlet cord, we're immediately taken back to this moment and reminded of the blood of the lamb that rescued those inside the home from the wrath of God. But the cord, the scarlet cord, not only points back to Exodus 12 and the Passover, it also points forward to Jesus and his death on the cross. When the early church thought about Christ's death on the cross, they saw a Passover sacrifice. That's how Paul talked about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. Paul called Jesus our Passover lamb who was sacrificed for our sins. Peter, in 1 Peter 1.19, said that we're redeemed from our sinful lives by the precious blood of Christ like that of an unblemished and spotless lamb. And so... That scarlet cord tells us a few things. There is wrath to come, and there is rescue under the blood of Christ. I've said a lot this morning about Rahab being a convert. She turned from her pagan Canaanite ways and believed in Israel's God. And what about you? Where are you in your relationship to Jesus Christ You may be a religious person. You may be a very spiritual person. All those things are fine. But friend, have you thrown yourself on the mercy of God? You have to hear this from the Bible this morning, that there is wrath to come. Every human being is a sinner. The Bible is clear that we are all dead in our sin. And one of these days, you will die. You will stand before God in judgment. And how will you defend yourself? How will you argue your way into eternal life at that point? What would you say? Here's a list of the good things I've done. And here's a list of the good intentions I had. And here's the successes I had in life. Here's the bad things I didn't do, but I could have. But there's only one thing that will cover you, and that's the blood of the Lamb. Only the sacrifice of Christ And your trust in Him will get you into eternal life and save you from the wrath of God against your sin, a wrath that you deserve. Jesus is the one and only perfect sacrificial Lamb of God. This is how you know God loves you, that He made this way for you. He sent His one and only Son to die in your place for your sin. 
When Jesus died on the cross, he didn't die for his sin. He didn't have any sin. He is God with us. And since he is totally innocent and perfectly holy, he alone is the one who can die for you in your place for your sin. That's what he did because he loves you. Three days after he died on the cross, he rose from the dead. And that's how we know he's not just some man with a crazy story, but he is very God of God. And if you will throw yourself on the mercy of Jesus Christ, you'll find rescue for your soul. If you will turn from your sin, turn from your self-righteousness, if you will confess the blood of Christ, his death and resurrection is the work for my salvation, you'll be saved. You'll be his forever and ever, forgiven of your sin. Now, sometimes a person might look at their past and say, look, I've messed up way too much. The things I've done are unforgivable. That wasn't true for Rahab the prostitute. That wasn't true for Moses the murderer. That wasn't true for Peter the denier. That wasn't true for Paul the persecutor. It's not true for you either. He loves you perfectly. And he knows you completely. When Rahab received that scarlet cord, there was an urgency to her action. She didn't want to wait until she saw Israel coming over the horizon, but she took that cord immediately, tied it to her window, claiming the protection that it provided. And so I want to encourage you to act with urgency today. Are you ready to give your life to Jesus Christ? Are you ready to turn to him, to throw yourself on his mercy? then before you leave this building today, I, I want you to talk with Jesus. Maybe you, you come chat with me or Pastor Steve or some other Christian friend you have here, but this is the day of salvation for you. Do not leave this building without knowing that Christ is yours and you are his. And maybe you're not ready. Maybe this is new information to you, and, but you'd like to talk more, then call the church office this week. would love to get together. Or on your Connect card, there's a little box that says, I want to talk to a pastor. Check that box, and you'll be our number one call this week. But you've got to know that God is a deliverer, and if you put your faith in Christ, then God will be your deliverer. In church family, I, I hope that when you see the protective power of Rahab's scarlet cord, you'll be emboldened at the power of Christ to save all who believe, not those who achieve uh, the, the right to be saved, not those who merit a salvation, not those who are clean sinners compared to dirty sinners, just that everyone who comes to him, everyone who comes in the name of Christ is saved. Look, we face a very real challenge in our work in our community. In representing Christ, there's any number of challenges we face, but one unique challenge that we face is the fact that we are a church with a Hingham address. I don't know if you know this, people feel a certain way about Hingham around here. Did you know that? They, they make all kinds of negative assumptions that, that we are snobby people and that we are very in love with ourselves and very uppity and, and whatever. And look, I, I live in Hingham. And uh, whenever I tell people that I live in Hingham, I, I muffle it, I mumble a little bit. And then when they, when they learn that, no, I live in Hingham, I'm quick to tell them, listen, I'm the reason property values stay under 1.2 million. That's, that's me. 
and my family. We are the Hingham hillbillies, so we're not Hingham, whatever that is. That's a challenge. It's a real challenge to people in our towns around us when they think about South Shore Baptist Church being in Hingham. It's unfortunate. Which is why you and I must do everything in our power to make sure love leads the way in every interaction with every person we get to present Christ to. So that they would know us by our love, not necessarily by our address. So it wouldn't matter what their background is, where they're from, what their story's like, or how unhingham they are. They would know that they belong with us in the family of God. I've seen this happen in different ways at different, different places. One of my favorite experiences of this was in our previous church in Kansas. Um, one Sunday, I'm in the middle of my sermon, and I, I heard an unmistakable noise, the noise of a soda being opened. I've heard a lot of noises when I preach. More cell phones than I can count. Uh, babies crying. I love it when babies cry. That never puts me off. Um, I've heard snoring on more, more occasions than I want to admit. I had one guy used to clip his nails in church, and it was loud. It was loud, and it was gross. But I've only once in my life heard a soda open in the middle of a sermon. And it wasn't just any soda. This guy was right down front. It was an IBC root beer. It twisted the cap, and he's got this glass bottle of root beer, and he just starts going to town on it while we're studying the Bible. And it made me so happy. Not because IBC is the king of root beers, but because this man didn't know our made-up rules of decorum in the sanctuary. He just knew he could find Jesus there. So bring your root beer. Just bring yourself. Just Don't you want to be that church where people know, I'm going to find Jesus there. And that's what Rahab teaches us. Our God, the delivering God, is a deliverer of root beer drinkers and prostitutes and self-righteous snobs and sinners of all kinds. That's the kind of God he is. So Joshua 2 is showing us God's a missionary, God's a deliverer, and then finally God is a promise keeper. Chapter 2 began with spies leaving Joshua. It ends with spies returning to Joshua with a report. The report is in verse 24. They told Joshua everything that had happened, and then they said, The Lord has handed over the entire land to us. Everyone who lives in the land is also panicking because of us. So 40 years prior, a set of spies had set out to check out the promised land sent by Moses' command. And if you remember that story, when those 12 spies came back, 10 of the 12 said, the land is great, but it isn't ours. This time around, these two spies returned to Joshua. They say the land is great, and it is ours. The Lord has given it to us. And it's not as if Joshua didn't know this already. He doesn't have a question in mind about whether or not God is going to give them this land. God's already spoken that promise multiple times, most recently back in chapter 1. In chapter 1, God hits that note multiple times. I'm giving you this land that I promised to you. And so Joshua's heard this promise from God, and now he hears it from the spies. They confirm what God has promised. 
And look, Israel's not really assured that they're going to get the land. I mean, they have the word from God, but they don't have a battle plan. They don't have a strategy. Joshua doesn't have a war room where he's, you know, got maps and all. That, they, don't, they just have this word from the Lord, the land has been given to you. And shouldn't that have been enough? Shouldn't it be enough that the word of God, the promise of God would get his people there? But it wasn't for them. It, it often isn't for us, is it? We have the word of God, but here's what God knows about you and I, that sometimes we need, we need help. We need God and His grace to bend to us and in any number of surprising ways confirm His Word to us again so that we don't just know it's true, but we feel it's true as well. And so that's what happens here. The spies, they come back with this story, and there's two things that convince them that God has given them the land. It's the two things they found in Jericho. First of all, they found fear Everyone's panicked because of us. Second, they found faith. Here's Rahab, this woman who has an Israelite confession that fear and faith told them that God was going to keep his word to them. He's going to keep his promise. So how good is God that in his grace he will bend himself to us to reassure us in our weakness, in our doubts, and in our fears that he's going to keep his promises to us. I was reminded of this this week in a conversation I had with a friend. I've got to keep a lot of these details very vague, and you'll understand why, but this friend uh, lives and works for Jesus in an Asian country. His work is frequently frustrating. Learning the language is difficult, um, and uh, fruit in this work is really hard to come by. It's easy for my friend to get discouraged. On one particular Sunday, not long ago, he was at his church, and a man, not from that country, but from a European country, showed up. And nobody knew this guy, but he had a story to tell. My friend introduced himself to this man, and he got his story. This man had recently moved to that country, and he had thrown himself into all kinds of self-destructive behavior. You imagine it, he was doing it. And uh, the result was he found himself in a very dark place, um, and his self-destruction advancing at a very scary rate. It was so bad that this man's non-Christian, transvestite roommate said, you got to go to a church and get some help. And the man showed up that Sunday, and my friend walked him to the cross, and not long after, baptized him as your brother in Jesus Christ. Shouldn't God's word be enough for my friend? Got the great commission. Faith comes by hearing, hearing from the word of God. God's going to do this thing. The word should be enough. But here's what God does is he, in all these surprising ways, in his grace, reminds us that his promises are true. And he follows through. He does not forget the promises he's made. He does not lapse on any of them. He is the promise-keeping God. You need that this week. You need that strength and assurance from God to know that he's going to keep his promises to you. So Joshua chapter 2 is a trip into the Holy of Holies. 
it shouldn't be in the Bible. If you were an editor, you would not include this story. You would take the end of chapter 1, you would connect it to the start of chapter 3, and no one would even miss it. But the writer of Joshua wants us to see God. So he takes us into Rahab's home so that you and I would have this unmistakable audience with the divine. And there we see God is a missionary, God is a deliverer, God is a promise keeper. Rahab goes on to take a place of prominence in the church. She's named in Matthew chapter 1 in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. She is a great, 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 great grandmother of Jesus. Not only that, she is named in Hebrews chapter 11 as a hero of the faith. Joshua's not named in Hebrews 11, but Rahab is. And so our sister Rahab calls us to lives of faith that reflect the heart of God. Rather than diminishing God to our personal agendas, we must align our lives to His purposes. We must bring people to the God who will save them, deliver them, and fulfill His promises to them. And so, brothers and sisters, may we live this week to make Christ known through all our words and deeds. After all, look around. The Lord has handed over the entire land to us. Let's pray. Father, let us look on the places we live with that same assurance. You have people here, children here. And Lord, among us are those who are ready to hear and believe you in your sovereignty have ordained this. So God, I pray that you would give us the confidence of these spies and give us a faith like Rahab's that we would throw ourselves on the mercy of Christ and then we would move in the power of you, our God who has saved us. Father, bring salvation today. I pray friends in here would would have faith awakened in them, those that are with us now, those that might listen online. Lord, that you would rescue them from their sin. Convince them of your love for them. Convince them of the power of the cross to cover their sin. Lord, let them know eternal life today by faith in Jesus. And I pray for my brothers and sisters in this church that the story of Rahab would inspire us to have a faith like hers, and to live our lives in such a way as to make Christ known so that his protection would go to all those who would hear and believe. Lord, make us into the church you want us to be. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We have